Welcome to the Techstars Climate Tech Podcast, where we dive into the climate change crisis and discuss how technology and innovations can help save our planet. I'm your host, Cody Sims. Join us as we talk with sustainability experts, investors, and founders about the issues we're collectively facing today due to climate change and how entrepreneurship can help. Today, we're talking with Andrew Chang, Program Director of New Energy Nexus in China, and Marilyn Waite, Program Officer in Environment at the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. We'll dive into China's role in the geopolitics of climate, the steps China is taking to reduce carbon emissions, as well as startup investment opportunities in the climate tech startup space. Marilyn and Andrew, I'm so glad to have you with us today. This podcast was no small feat to pull off logistically, as it is with a global topic. I think the three of us are joining from Shanghai, Los Angeles, and France, but excited to get us together. Why don't we start with each of you telling us about yourselves and your work as it relates to climate change? Marilyn, you want to go first? Sure. Greetings from Lyon, France. I am Marilyn Waite. I co-host the China Clean Tech podcast with Andrew Chang, and I'm also leading the climate finance work at the Hewlett Foundation, which covers Europe, China, and the United States. So there you go. My entire life, climate. Andrew, how about you? Yeah, Andrew Chang calling in from Shanghai. Super excited to be here. I have a background in solar, working at a solar startup out of school, and I'm program director for New Energy Nexus. We're an international organization that supports clean energy entrepreneurs who drive innovation and build equity in the global clean energy economy. So been in China for five years now and run several programs supported by the Hewlett Foundation, but also some climate fintech programs, both in Europe and in the U.S. as well. Well, super. And, and obviously, that's the topic we're going to dive in today, which is all about China and climate. Before we do that, though, just kind of no coincidence, you two take up the mic together frequently with your podcast, China Clean Tech, which I think is launching its third season this fall. If you wouldn't mind, can you give us just a quick overview of the podcast and your focus and also just pointers for people on how to search for it and listen to it if they want to do that? Yes, so China Clean Tech or Shangtai Chuangxin in Mandarin Chinese is a podcast that highlights China connected innovations and innovators. We're all about dispelling myths and telling the stories of entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs across China who are making a difference in decarbonization. So there are currently two seasons. The first season we covered exclusively startup founders. In season two, we branched out a bit to other kinds of innovators, including those in the policy and financial sectors. And in season three, we will take a deeper dive at the intersection between finance and clean tech in the Chinese economy. The podcast is on both U.S., Europe, Western podcast outlets and Chinese podcast outlets. Super. And it's an English language podcast for folks. Definitely. Cody, how's your Chinese I just screwed up. So there you go. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't spoken in a really long time. But yeah, that's a, a fun little crazy fact about me was I actually studied Chinese and Chinese history in college 20 plus years ago. And uh, that's actually how I got into tech originally is I moved to the Bay Area back in the late 90s from the Midwest, trying to get a job using my Chinese language skills and instead accidentally fell into the dot-com boom. So, <laughs> so this is a fun topic for me. It's, it's one that, that draws together an ancient past of mine with today's present. What I'd love to start with is for listeners who aren't deep into the geopolitics of climate specifically, can you touch on why China matters from a climate change perspective? And also maybe just give us a brief primer on what official steps China has taken of late to participate in global efforts to reduce emissions, 
You know, I think that China recently announced a plan to reach peak carbon emissions by 2030 and carbon neutrality by 2060. What's the overarching roadmap of emissions in China? And again, in the context of the global emissions landscape, why that matters? So the Chinese economy, which is the largest economy in the world when adjusted for purchasing power parity, is also the world's largest emitter of greenhouse gases. So roughly a quarter of global emissions come from China. There's no solving climate change without China. It's also the world's largest renewable energy market. So in 2020 alone, China installed 40 gigawatts of new solar and 40 gigawatts of new wind. The U.S. did roughly half of that, just for comparison's sake. So that means in terms of deployment lessons, China will play an outsized role as well. Now, to give you some more flavor, on the policy end, it was recently announced that the National Development and Reform Commission, NDRC, that's the body that sets all the important five-year economic plans in China, is now tasked with drafting the roadmap. So as you mentioned, it's called 3060, so peak emissions by 2030, reach net zero or carbon neutral by 2060. NDRC will be developing the roadmap for reaching those peak emissions. And that's really important because it's tied with the economy. They've also created this new National Green Development Fund. So that's around 89 billion RMB or 13.6 billion USD. And that's having the backing of a lot of the Chinese banks and government departments. And that will deploy public finance into developing green infrastructure, climate-friendly infrastructure across the country, including in those high-emitting, hard-to-abate sectors. The kind of cliff notes I always think of is that basically... China's current, and correct me if I'm wrong, China's currently the world's largest emitter of greenhouse gas on an annual basis. Obviously, U.S. is the largest cumulative emitter over the history of ever. But China's also the has the largest deployment of renewables in the world. So it's, it's a big economy, as you said. <laughs> I guess what I'd love to dive in is first really understanding the context of how things happen in China. Because one thing I've learned in my time spent focusing on China is that Obviously, China is a very centrally planned economy, but one of the ways that the central planning structure works is by choosing certain local regions to pursue certain paths and then giving those local regions sort of some degree of freedom to execute on KPIs or execute on plans within those paths. So I guess with that backdrop, what regions in China have emerged today with a strong climate focus and how does that differ across sectors, whether it's energy, food and ag, mobility, construction? And do you think there are any 2020s versions of the sort of 1980s special economic zones that gave rise to places like Shenzhen that you think will become global climate tech innovation centers over the next decade or two? You're absolutely right in the sense that it's very much of a top-down planning structure. And what's really unique about China is that there's sort of these dedicated special economic zones for specific industries, right? I want to just point out Tianfu New Area, which is based in Sichuan, is actually an area where we have a partnership with Tsinghua University, the Energy Internet Institute. It's also sort of strategically located in Western China, right? Which is sort of the heartland of hydropower and a lot of the big major renewable projects. So different regions within China also just have different sectors and different focuses, right? Obviously, you have in Shenzhen or Shanghai, you have specific artificial intelligence economic zones where they're welcoming AI companies to register and set up shop in those areas. And they're giving benefits, whether it's tax benefits or subsidized rent, 
right? And because every districts have their own KPIs, right? So in, in a way, they have this incentive structure to really compete against each other to sort of reach these provincial goals. And so in a way, it's, it's sort of friendly competition that really brings up the entire industry. I know in Shenzhen, near Tsinghua University, is an economic zone using AI, but now with net zero and net zero goals is now become, okay, how can we leverage some of the fintech that's out there, the clean tech that's out there, leveraging big data, AI, blockchain to address these net zero commitments? Because now this has become a national goal, it trickles down to all these local governments and they themselves have to achieve these KPIs. And those governments then leak to the companies and the corporates. And they themselves also have to reach these KPIs. I mean, just an example in Sanxi, there was a coal-fired chemical plant that was shut down. It was halfway through construction and the plans had just been canceled. And it just goes to show that China is very committed to reaching these goals, right? And a lot of people were left trying to figure out, what about the jobs? Like, where are these people who are formerly working in this coal chemical plant? Where are they going to go? And so there is a lot of this transitional work that needs to be done. But when these policies are set at the top, they're serious. And I think everyone's sort of on board to fulfill them. I guess this 3060 plan just came out, when was it? Sometime late last yeah, year? December, January, yeah. I spent a bunch of time in China in 2019 and no entrepreneurs were talking about clean tech at the time. It was all about, you know, AI. It was all about mobility, expansion into Southeast Asia. And so it makes sense that since those KPIs came out, now you've got a lot of regional governments essentially trying to recruit entrepreneurs to work on these problems and building infrastructure to help them achieve it, which that's the thing that blows my mind about the the local side of China is you end up with these industrial parks, I guess is the right word, which is the size of an entire city that's just dedicated toward attracting commercial opportunity around a theme, around an area that that local region is trying to pursue. Is that the right way to look at it? That's exactly right. You know, before the city's even built, they'll sort of have a gallery or like a showcase center where they'll say, okay, envision what this place will look like five years from now. And there'll be this epic music on this, you know, giant LED screen that talks about, you know, we're going to be sustainable buildings and lakes and mountains and sort of this beautiful backdrop with like tech enabled lifestyle. I feel like lake and mountains are important in Absol- China. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, this is the first few words you learn in Chinese. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Shan shui, right? Exactly. <laughs> just going back to just Tampa, New area, they're sort of been coined as sort of like the ecological park city, right? And so if you go to Sendu now, it's still like halfway under construction, but you'll see the sort of blueprint for this place. And they just opened Tampa area airport. And so this is where all like the panda zoos are, right? And it just goes to show that when China really puts their mind and saying, hey, we want to develop this area, they'll develop it for sure. I think of as a startup in the US or in Europe, you work to get access to venture capital, you work to get access to potential partners, et cetera. And in these special economic zones, if you need to work with government on regulation, they're right there trying to learn from you on what you might need. Hey, let's install sensors at stoplights so we can test autonomous vehicle mobility or this, that, and the other. And they're actually working with you as an entrepreneur to try to solve these problems together because they're trying to move the needle all at once around a given goal, which is pretty fascinating, I think. I'd love to dive into what's actually happening on the ground in climate tech. 
I think of innovation across many different sectors, whether it's energy, whether it's built environment and construction, whether it's mobility, transport, food and ag. And then there's obviously new markets that are emerging like carbon markets, demand response markets, risk markets around ESG, et cetera. Does this same lens apply in China or are some of these sectors seeing more focus than others? And I guess, do you see this change being broadly led by technology innovation or broadly led by changes in how finance is happening in the renewable markets in China? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll take this one. Just to answer your second question first, I think it's technology-led first, then comes finance. I think under the 14th five-year plan, which is what the, the CCP sort of every five years comes out with a plan on, these are the things that we want to focus on. These are the industries we want to focus on. And this is essentially the blueprint for China, right? And they, they stick to that plan. And so within that five-year plan, we'll have certain technologies. So, hey, we want to develop hydrogen. We want to develop semiconductors. We want to further develop building materials and reduce high energy consumption projects. Once that is mandated, then come the sort of financing, then comes sort of the state-owned banks and the banks and, and finance flows really follow that. And so I think that's sort of the order, first technology, then finance. Just in terms of like industries, right? So in the 14th five-year plan, you know, there was a lot of things that were mentioned, electricity, steel, metal, materials, buildings, mobility, semiconductors. These are all sort of areas in which they're focusing on. And I want to talk about ESG markets because this is something that we've been working on recently around climate finance and trying to understand or work with some of these large Chinese financial institutions and adopting ESG policies. Because right now, ESG is a very hot topic, but not a lot of financial institutions know what it means or know from which department do we have to create new mandates or create new objectives to actually address and fulfill these ESG goals. I think the UNPRI, the UN Principles of Responsible Investing, have done a really good job lay out the blueprint on how you can leverage what is ESG, first of all, what are some things that you have to do to ensure that the companies that you're investing in, the money that your capital flows are going towards green projects and not brown assets. And so I think they provide a very good... Just a, just a little plug there, my organization, Techstars, we actually became signatories to the UNPRI this summer. Really excited to work within that. They're framework. a fantastic organization and we need organizations like that to really sort of promote and, and have a foundation where a lot of these organizations can go to them and say, what is the best practice? What are the best guys? And how can we be better supporters of the cause? So I would say ESG markets is something that is definitely in high demand these days. And we ourselves are actually working with companies like China Industrial Bank. They're one of the biggest green financiers in China, trying to help them understand how can we leverage fintech to actually help them achieve their ESG goals. I'll pass it over to Marilyn. To the first part of your question, Cody, around does the same lens apply in China in terms of sectors? I would say if we look at the project drawdown, 80 to 100 solutions, absolutely. They're the same solutions across all markets. Project Drawdown is in the midst of translating their information, their website, their technical and economic analysis into Mandarin Chinese, and that might be helpful as well. And so I think all of those sectors count. I would say given the manufacturing base in China, the heavy industries like steel, chemicals, and cement that Andrew referred to will be very prominent for decarbonization. So the world is going to rely heavily on the innovation coming from China in those 
heavy, hard to decarbonize spaces, especially. That makes a ton of sense. I'm curious about, there's a lot of innovation happening around around carbon reduction, whether it's direct air capture or other technologies. Are you starting to see that take hold in China as well as sort of a supplement to heavy industry or even separate from it via nature-based solutions and whatnot? There definitely are some carbon capture technologies. We're actually working with a couple startups through our accelerator programs actually focus more on energy efficiency for manufacturing lines. And one of the biggest steel companies in China, they work on reducing energy efficiencies on the line specifically related to pumps. And that itself can reduce carbon emissions by maybe 1%, which could have massive impact. We're seeing a lot of that. We're state grid, China Southern Grid and CNUC are some of the sort of state-backed utilities that are investing a lot in hydrogen these days. Hydrogen is obviously sort of top of mind. There's a lot of pilot zones that are being enacted by the Chinese government to take on these hydrogen projects. I saw the news, a couple cities were sort of designated as pilot zones for hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. And I think we're going to start seeing some pilot projects with fuel cell vehicles very soon and subsidies quickly thereafter. One thing that strikes me as you're talking, Andrew, is I spent a bunch of time in China in 2019, as I mentioned, and one of the things I was learning was there wasn't yet a big enterprise market for startups. Yes, sort of the large technology companies are used to working with tech startups and in particular paying for software, but most of the large industrial state-owned enterprises and whatnot just historically haven't necessarily been buyers of startup technology, haven't necessarily paid heavily for software contracts or even hardware contracts for startups. And I'm curious, it sounds like that's changing, particularly in the clean tech space, quite dramatically based on what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy, I would say, right? Because um, much of these large corporates are state-owned and they've got vendors knocking on their door every day. They are working with some of the largest European energy companies, you know, whether it's Snyder Electric, Siemens, ABB, right? And so they have these veteran multinational corporates working with them, right? Best of the best. Not much of the pie is left for startups to come in. And so that's actually a lot of the work that we are trying to do is sort of say, hey, actually, there are a lot of great startups that are doing great work. They're just not getting the access and exposure. And so it's really our job. What we try to do is try to put them in front of some of these large corporates and say, hey, what are some of your problem statements? What are some of the needs that you have? And how can the startup address some of those needs? And I think the biggest challenge is really access. You know, China is a very big market and finding the right people who make those decisions is often very difficult. Now we're seeing more and more companies, which is great. And we're also seeing some additional VCs with follow-on investment for a lot of these companies, which is, which is encouraging for the sector. That's great. And I'm sure you all have a role to play too, just in helping entrepreneurs who haven't maybe built startups selling to enterprises in the past, just learn the best practices of business development and sales and, and all of that too, as a new skill set. You mentioned some of the emerging players in the Chinese climate tech startup space. Let's dive into that. You know, I think most people in the West maybe know of NEO just because of its performance on the stock market, sort of the Tesla of China. And I think, you know, most people know that China is quite dominant in the solar panel market. But when it comes to emerging tech startups in the climate space, what companies are doing interesting work? Who should be on people's radars? 
and also, are most of these companies aimed with global ambitions, or are they focused specifically on the massive decarbonization market in China specifically? Yeah, no, that's a great one. I mean, Neo is one that I am personally invested in as well. So, you know, um, <laughs> they, along with Xiaopong, as well as Li Auto, are sort of like the three sort of darling EV startups of China, right? Li Auto is sort of the EV SUV. Neo as well, although they just came out with the sedan. And Xiaopong is sort of like a Tesla sort of Model S lookalike. Also, their autonomous driving apparently is also really, really good. And so these cars are doing well. And I think that with the subsidies that the Chinese government provided, and I think one thing that we forgot to mention is just policy and subsidies is really transformational, right? Chinese government, when they want something to happen, they'll put out subsidies for it. And we were deciding between a Neo or, or a Tesla, we ended up getting a Model 3. But at the time, the subsidies for the Model 3 was very attractive. So we end up getting a Tesla Model 3. And so that's sort of the EV space, right? But I think CATL is actually really interesting. They've come up with a sodium ion battery. Recently, they had like a webinar, I think last month, but it's sort of a new chemistry that's not as high energy density, but it puts sort of less reliance on lithium, right? And lithium, as you know, is the core chemistry for all the battery technology that we have. Which also has most of most of its stock and reserves in China, if I understand correctly, too, doesn't it? Exactly. China owns most of the lithium reserves in the world, really. Just a couple startups. Maybe I'll name one. Carbon Stop, Lu Hui. We actually interviewed him on, on our podcast. He's a veteran in the space. It's a, sort of a carbon management software platform. So he does sort of carbon management assessments for companies. And he's been doing this, you know, 10 years ago. And he recently got... 50 million funding round from Hill House. So we just attended his 10-year anniversary in Beijing last month. So really exciting. We're also seeing Neotech, which is an ESG startup. We sort of call it a climate fintech startup, Jason to Hong Kong, Shanghai, and just recently Singapore. They got investment from the Singapore Sovereign Wealth Fund, GIC. And so their carbon stop really focused on, on the Chinese market, but Neotech is now looking to work through all throughout Asia. And so it's exciting to see these startups really, really expand, not only within China, but outside. That's great. And they're, I would assume, sort of a, a carbon accounting platform. Is that the, the main focus of their tech? Correct. Yeah. They use artificial intelligence to essentially provide real-time data for both Chinese companies and sort of where they stand on the sort of the ESG rating scale. You mentioned Hill House, which is obviously one of the big Chinese venture firms just love to hear other firms that should be on people's radar. I mean, in terms of generalist tech, I think of Sequoia China being a major player, Matrix, IDG, Junfund, GGV, Qiming. Who's really leading in terms of specifically investments in climate tech? And are any new funds emerging that are carving that out as their lane? I mean, you mentioned all the big ones, right? You mentioned all the ones with massive portfolios and Clean tech is only a small part of their portfolio, right? Billions in assets that they manage and funds that they manage. I want to say Legend Capital. Legend Capital is a VC that was started by the director of Lenovo. He's one of their major stakeholders in CATL. So they've done a number of investments in just energy storage technologies, solar technologies as well. And I think Legend Capital is one that definitely should be on the radar for people. And I recently got to speak with 
one of their managing directors and partners in Beijing. And he's sort of a legend in the space in terms of really directing a lot of the capital flow towards energy storage. And it's really exciting to see that. You mentioned Matrix and Hill House. Those obviously have made some recent investments in, in carbon stops. So that's really great. Let's see. Marilyn, anybody on your side? Yeah. So on the startup end, I have to mention some of the alternative meat or plant-based diet startups because it really is a booming ecosystem similar to the U.S. And so we interviewed Starfield on our podcast, but there, there are many more. And I think what's interesting about this is that some of the same raw materials or raw ingredients, peas, soy are prominent, but they're also delving into mushrooms and other kinds of underdeveloped protein sources for alternative meats. And given the palate is different in China than, for example, the US, I think the applications will vary. So it's not as if you can exactly copy and paste, for example, Beyond Meat, the same taste that that will be in the US as in for the China market. So I would watch that space as well, in addition to the storage companies and the carbon accounting companies and the fintechs in China, because it's also a huge market for agriculture and commodities. And I think um, in addition to some of the big VCs who have a vertical within climate that operate in China, I would also say there are dedicated funds, especially on the maybe growth stage, more private equity side of this. And that includes the Asia Green Fund. So that first started out as the U.S.-China Green Fund. And there are some affiliated funds like Three Gorges Green Fund for Rivers Investment. And so I would also look at those. And I would also look at some of the insurance companies and other larger more China-rooted big asset managers who are beginning to start to dip their toes into that climate vertical across those various sectors. And just to add, I just remember NZ Fund. It's a new fund out of Sinopec Capital, the Chinese oil company. It's great to see them sort of redirect some of their strategic investment towards new energy, hydrogen, it's very recent, you know, it was in the past couple of months, but NZ Fund by Sinopec Capital. That's super interesting. In Europe, in the US, you've seen strategics jump in heavily into this space as investors, whether it's big tech companies like Amazon and Google and Microsoft putting lots of money forward, or whether it's Stripe and Shopify doing interesting work in carbon markets, or whether it's industrials like Schneider Electric, Siemens Energy, et cetera, doing work. I hadn't heard of a lot of strategics in China getting involved in the startup investing world. So I guess that's definitely an interesting trend to keep keep our eye on. One thing that we're seeing in China is that startups, we have early stage and growth stage. I think it is true that a lot of these species are looking for usually later stage companies, you know, co- startups that are collecting revenue from customers and at least have two to three years of traction. And so the early stage sort of appetite is a little bit more challenging, I would say. But I think the framework for those type of projects, at least how we work with the sector, is that you need to prove your technology first, right? And you don't need VC capital. Find corporates that you're willing to develop proof of concept projects with. Prove that you can do that and position yourself for follow-on investment. That way you have more leverage when it comes to taking on more capital. So that's like the recommendation we give to a lot of the early stage startups is still got some work to do to really prove that your technology works. And there's definitely avenues to get there, right? And like you mentioned before, the special economic zones also provides a gateway 
for people to easily access government funds, but also to develop pilot projects. Well, I want to touch on one more topic here. Marilyn, I'll direct this question to you. I mean, Andrew's on the ground, obviously, there, but it can be really hard to follow startup trends in China. I guess these two don't apply to you if you don't read Chinese and don't use WeChat regularly. But in general, what websites do you recommend people follow to stay on top of things? You know, I, I sort of look at TechNode from time to time and 36KR, but I'm curious, in particular, in the clean tech and climate tech world, what you recommend people use if they want to keep tabs on what's happening in China, whether it's startup world or just generally in terms of news about the China world as it relates to climate. Right. So I recommend Energy Iceberg. It's a newsletter that comes out that takes a deep dive and provides a lot of analysis around the energy, climate, hardware space in China. And so that's definitely one. We covered the founder of Energy Iceberg on our podcast as well. And I would actually recommend people go ahead and download WeChat. Even if you don't speak Chinese, it's okay. There's tons of English content on WeChat. I would say that there's lots of various groups and accounts you can follow that will give you the news. I mean, really, China works around WeChat. So another app on the phone, open it up when you're ready to learn something about the China scene. For example, there's a Green Finance Center, one of the channels that I follow on WeChat. I would also say the the China and Africa podcast sometimes covers episodes on green infrastructure because there's a lot of investment from Chinese SOEs, Chinese POEs, the Exim Bank, the China Development Bank, so on and so forth, that goes into all across Africa and, and, for example, other emerging and developing economies. So I think that's a great resource. Sometimes Saixin, so C-A-I-X-I-N, will also cover this news. And hopefully as it gains more prominence in terms of being an overall economic indicator, right? Overall economic decarbonization being a big goal. Saishin will cover more of this. So those are some ideas for your listeners. That's great. And in particular for WeChat newbies, if people were to open it up, you know, what are the first two or three accounts they should follow? And obviously they can follow you and Andrew to stay on top of news and events, but what are the two or three accounts that they should follow within WeChat? Is it all the all the media outlets you just mentioned, like Energy, Iceberg, et cetera, I presume have WeChat accounts that you can use to stay on top of things? So definitely follow New Energy Nexus. Follow Andrew and company at New Energy Nexus. There's the Green Finance Center. People can also add me to their WeChat. I'm at Maryland 179 and I can send them some groups. A lot of it happens that way. So your friends, your networks will be a part of groups and they can send it on to you. Those are a few. Andrew, do you have any suggestions? Yeah, I'm just looking through mine. There's a PV Tech, which is a lot of just solar news. You know, you mentioned all the big ones already. Another one that I like to follow is YGT, Young Green Tech Entrepreneurs. They're a partner organization of ours that are always covering just up-and-coming green tech entrepreneurs within China. And they do incredible storytelling when it comes to showcasing the entrepreneurs. So I actually really enjoy that. Yeah, I would say those, those two. Super. Well, thanks to you both. This has been incredibly insightful for me. It's obviously an area I've got some personal interest in, but it's an area that's so important to the future of our planet and to helping us all solve climate change. And it's exciting to hear how much development there's been in China over the last few years. And hopefully that's just the tip of the uh, energy iceberg, so to speak, (laughs) Um, uh, in terms of where everything's headed. I guess one last question I have for you, and it's really something I ask every guest, which is, 
What's one piece of advice you have for entrepreneurs embarking on a climate-focused endeavor? And I guess in this case, particularly those who either plan to market to China or to manufacture in China. So I can start and let Andrew finish that. So I would say go to China and develop those connections and partners on the ground. You really do need to know people. It's not as if you can go on a website and know what's going on and, and trust the process. That's probably for every economy in the world. <laughs> so I would say there are organized trips, study tours that New Energy Nexus has done in the past that others do as well that help to make those connections. Those are, those are really important. I would say there are a number of incubators, accelerators, and technology parks. Attach yourself to one of those so that you have a China perch, right? You're not just a foreign entity in this massive economy. I would probably say the same thing to any entrepreneur in any part of the world, really, but it definitely also applies in China. On season two, episode three of the China Clean Tech podcast, we interviewed David Lee of the Shenzhen Open Innovation Lab. So that's an example of a space that's created for small, light, capital light hardware manufacturing. And so Find those maker spaces if you're in that space and connect with them and use those as your perch to create new products and, and partner. Yeah, thanks, Marilyn. Yeah, I mean, I would say China has a wealth of opportunity. It's a massive market and Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, Shenzhen are sort of like the low-hanging fruit in the sense that if you're new to China, you're looking for specific communities, specific VCs. This is sort of where you go first. But really, in terms of the clean tech opportunity, I think Western China is actually where massive potential is. Xinjiang, Sichuan, Chongqing province. I mean, obviously, a lot of the finance and capital flow happened in the tier one cities, but that the projects, the big hydro projects, Three Gorges Dam are in Sichuan province. And so the renewable energy potential in these areas is just massive. You know, we're based in Shanghai, but we're actually, we have a partner in Sendu, and we hope to actually expand our efforts in Western China. And so to sort of Maryland's point, especially when you work with state-owned companies and you're looking for government connections, you, you can't really find like a LinkedIn uh, for them. <laughs> you really have to go on the ground, talk to the people, get to know people, take them out to dinner, find the right connections. And one thing I, I have to say is that part of our work at New Energy Nexus is very much about building bridges, right? We are a global organization and that we have this sort of principle called China in, China out thinking. What can we bring into China that can support the ecosystem here? But now that China is also doing very well with great technology, how can we export this to other regions, whether it's Southeast Asia or South Asia. And I just think the potential is massive. And I encourage people to take the leap and come explore. I myself and someone who grew up in the Bay Area all my life, but decided to pursue this sort of clean energy journey here in China, because I mean, that's where the battleground for climate change is. It's, it's going to be in China. It's going to be in Southeast Asia. It's going to be in India. It's these massive markets that truly are the biggest opportunities for us to have impact. So that's sort of my bit. I love it. That's a great way to, to end us, Andrew, and couldn't agree more with the call to action to get out and go get on the ground in China. It's, it's so eye-opening and so much to learn and so inspiring every time I go in terms of seeing new innovations that are completely different than anything we're seeing in, in other parts of the world. So thanks to you both for all the work you're doing to help build bridges 
you know, it's it's so important, Andrew, as you said, that the real battlefront for climate change is happening in East Asia, Southeast Asia, India, etc. And actually, the work you're doing to try to build bridges across different languages, different cultures, and help us all just recognize this is one big global fight that we're in to innovate and transform our global economy to be more green and more renewables focused is critical work. So really appreciate it and look forward to what's to come in the future. Thanks, Cody. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the discussions. You can check out the episode notes for more info about our guests and resources we mentioned. See you on the next episode of the Techstars Climate Tech Podcast. 